diversity is not an aspiration. It's not a goal. It is the nature of the global talent pool that organizations need to hire from. Inclusion is the most effective way to lead and manage that diverse pool of people. Are you ready to reinvent your organization and create a workplace of the future? Welcome to the Optimized Workplace. My name is Fran Dean Bishop, and I'm the founder and CEO of Aerobody. Join me each week as I welcome innovators, A-listers, and trailblazers who will share their individual experiences with creating an optimized workplace. This podcast will inspire you to find new and unique ways of helping your organization thrive while providing an exceptional experience for your employees and nourishing their well-being. Ready to get started? Learn more at theoptimizedworkplace.co. Welcome to the Optimized Workplace. I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop, where our discussions with influencers, experts, and innovators are helping transform the well-being and sustainability of today's workplaces and spaces. Today, I had the absolute pleasure to welcome Sally Helgerson. Cited in Forbes as the world's premier expert on women's leadership, and an internationally best-selling author, speaker, and leadership coach. Sally is inducted into the Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame, which honors those whose ideas have shaped the idea of leadership worldwide. She's also ranked as number three among world thought leaders by global gurus. Sally's mission has always been to help women recognize, articulate, and act on their greatest strength. Her previous books include The Female Vision. I love that. Women's Real Power at Work, and the best-selling The Female Advantage, Women's Ways of Leadership, which is held as a classic on women's leadership styles and is actually produced in 12 different languages. Her groundbreaking The Web of Inclusion, a new architecture for building great organizations, was cited by the Wall Street Journal as one of the best books on leadership ever and is credited with bringing the language of inclusion into business. Ooh, that is so juicy, Sally. I can't wait to get into that. Overall, besides her leadership programs, her keynotes, working with universities, nonprofits, and organizations, Sally has consulted with the UN, United Nations, to build more inclusive country offices in Africa and Asia. And she's led seminars at Harvard Graduate School of Education and Smith College. Finally, she is a contributing editor of Strategy and Business Magazine and a member of the New York and International Women's Forums. Woo, that was a lot, Sally. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Fran. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And she looks five years old, guys. She looks so young and perfect. Like, how has she done all of this? Well, let's get into it. I love this conversation. And obviously, the breadth of your work is around women and leadership. As someone who has worked in this area for decades and obviously has written quite a book extensively on it and probably interviewed um, more than, than most on the subject of women and leadership, I'm so curious, what are you most and least excited about as we turn the corner with all the stuff against the wall, the future of work, remote work, the economy, the, 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 you know, other these wars that are going on, Ukraine and Gaza. What, are you, what is most exciting to you about what's happening with women and leadership and what's least or what keeps you up at night about that? Well, I think what's most exciting to me is recognizing how over the 35 years I have been working uh, in women's leadership and inclusive leadership all around the world, 
the extent to which women have played a role in redefining how excellence is understood in organizations. Back when I started working in this field, excellence was understood as being sort of the toughest guy on the block, you know, willing to make all the decisions, no matter what the impact was on people. Uh, people, uh, you know, leadership was considered, listening was not on the radar screen. I would talk about what I learned about women leaders and their ability to build strong relationships. And what I'd hear is, well, you know, relationship building is a soft skill. It's not a leadership skill. All these things have changed. The ability to bring an outsider perspective into the workplace and say, I'm noticing some things that I think are not getting into the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's seen as uh, an advantage. So this is what excites me. I think that that the diversity in the workplace, uh, broadly defined, has, has really required different leadership skills. Because here's what I always say. Diversity is not an aspiration. It's not a goal. It is the nature of the global talent pool that organizations need to hire from. Inclusion is the most effective way to lead and manage that diverse pool of people. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, this is on one hand, it's been very good uh, in that it's harder and harder for leaders who don't respect these things to survive and to be successful. We still have some pretty high profile examples of where that Mm -hmm. is not happening. But in general, this is what organizations are looking for. The other thing is this, there's been so much pushback in recent months, especially against DEI as something that is somehow bringing a lot of unqualified people into positions of influence, authority, and power by uh, politicians and by activists who support them. So this mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of this. And people keep saying, oh, it's going to go away. No, it's not going to go away for the reason <laughs> I just said. Yeah. Because companies need to hire people. You know, mm-hmm. a, a, a congressional representative basically needs to hire about six people. So they don't need to be worried about, you know, appealing broadly to the reality of the talent pool. So I feel quite optimistic about the sustainability of DEI, although I think the languages and many of the practices will evolve over time, which is perfectly fine. Uh, so that's what I feel good about. <laughs> Do I have to Interesting. No, that's rich and juicy. It's a great way to start. You know, you're like me. Um, I think we both started our careers where it wasn't about anything other than getting the job done. Right. When I started, you know, a, a lot of these young women I meet now that are starting businesses and young men as well, you know, these certifications like WeBank and Women's President's Organization and, and, you know, as you said, DEI and all these words in the 90s. Can you get the job done? Can you be on time? Will your people be on time? That's what's important. And now we have all these subsectors and subfactors that enter into the conversation. And so because of that, that champions and that pushes and it spearheads different things ahead. And I think because of the preponderance of that, quite frankly, I think the forces that push against that are out of fear because the it's moving so quickly. Whereas back in the day, you know, it was kind of trickling and you have some, you know, folks here and there, but now, you know, we're, we're strong. Women are strong in business. Women of color are very strong in business and, and carrying that champion. 
So you see then, I think fear is around a lot of the pushback, but whatever, that's going to be for, forever. It's opportunism too, Fran. There's there's a certain degree of opportunism and people who feel they can grab a big microphone by saying outrageous things. So that's fine. You know, thousand percent, thousand percent. Yeah. So when it comes to this idea around inclusivity, let's let's talk about that word for a moment. From your perspective, why that word, you know, and, and why is that word the word that's being championed and, and trying to create the change? Because I think that, and it's not necessarily just the word, because we can argue semantics all the time, but why do you think that's such a profound shift now where that wasn't, you know, 10, 15, even, you know, five years ago, but now it's such a profound shift. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, certainly. And I can talk about it from having been there. Um, When I published the book, The Web of Inclusion, again, this was not a word that was a thing having to do anything with organizations or business. I was trying to describe organizations that were very good at getting strategic level ideas and thinking from people at every level. That was my goal in that book. And it became, you know, quite successful and influential at that time. This is 1995. Now, it was not until two or three years later that I began seeing, wow, the word inclusion is now getting paired with diversity. And people were talking about diversity and inclusion became DNI, DEI, whatever, whatever kind of alphabet soup. That was fascinating to me. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly right. Because People who come, whether it's women, whether it's people of color, whether it's people who are, you know, have various cognitive issues, what, you know, transgender, whatever it is, people who come from outside the mainstream have a tougher time feeling included, hmm. you know, because it's, you know, it's harder for mainstream leaders to recognize what they're contributing to articulate and understand the power of what they have to contribute. So they are more likely to not feel included. And how do we know this? It's a very simple test. Uh, Leaders say to me, you know, how do I know if I have an inclusive organization? Well, that's pretty simple. Do people talk about we or do they talk about they? If they talk about they when they're talking about you, then you know you don't. If they talk about we, in other words, they're part of, then, you know, you do. So to me, it was really interesting. It was not anything I did. I was thinking of it in terms of, you know, getting the biggest range of strategic skills. It's very interesting that that got picked up. And then, you know, it, it, it recreated my work because I began being invited to do events and programs and workshops, et cetera, in the whole diversity and inclusion field, almost from the get-go, because nobody else had written about it. So I want to take us go a little bit deeper on something you mentioned. Since we're here talking about women in leadership, let's talk about the wealth gap, <laughs> because I think that affects the DEI conversation too, right? Um, I was just watching something this morning. I don't know if you're familiar with Issa Rae. She's the one that has a show on um, HBO, and because her show was so... Uh, popular and did so well. Now she's getting an opportunity with other networks, other studios. It opens the door. People didn't know about her. Now they know about her, right? It starts conversation. And her whole mantra when they, she was interviewed by CBS News was that I'm trying to, in my own way, help shorten that or make that wealth gap even smaller. And I think I see a lot of women doing that. You see, um, oh, what's her name? I can't think of it at the top of my head. 
Um, she has her own studio now. She's she's producing a lot of women films. Uh, Ava DuVernay is certainly oh, doing okay. that. There's a lot of women in Hollywood doing that now, right? So from your perspective, again, your lens, you've talked to a lot of women in corporate as well as private industry and government as well. What do you think it's going to really take for us to start to see a real sizable game in changing that diverse, that, that, that disparate gap and the wealth between what men make, women make, and even in you bringing this conversation around inclusion? What do you think it's going to take, Sally? I think it's going to take boards pushing back on insane salary demands by people, guys mostly, at the top. I saw the other day that the board has refused, you can imagine this, to pay Elon Musk the $50 billion a year he's requesting as CEO of Tesla. And what it's going to take is boards, number one, recognizing that when a company is successful, it's not on one guy. It's not on one person. It's a broad effort. We can't do this alone. I think women recognize that more than anybody, just because you're the one that births the children. So you realize it takes a village, right? (laughs) It takes a village. And, you know, it's very convenient for a lot of, you know, um, guys at the top to not recognize that too. And I think many, you know, in some cases, they do imagine it's their own strategic brilliance that is solely responsible for their organization's success. Well, that's fine. Let them live in that bubble if they want. But it's going to take a lot of pressure on boards to understand that any successful enterprise is a collective effort. And you want to spread the fruits of a successful endeavor broadly. And I think that the way that will probably happen is through the recognition that companies have increasingly that employee engagement is the key to their being successful. You know, Gallup Mm -hmm. had this big poll that was out a number of years ago. Well, I, I think it was right before the pandemic that showed employee engagement was at a historic low point. And guess mm-hmm. what? It went down during the pandemic. Well, there are lots of reasons this is true, but feeling you're being ripped off <laughs> doesn't really <laughs> uh, lead to a lot of engagement. You know, you can feel recognized and valued and get employee of the month, employee of the year, whatever. That's fine. That costs Went in the pocketbook. Nothing. Bottom line. Yeah, but yeah. You know, it has to hit you. It You have to feel that you are being fairly rewarded. And you also have to feel that other people are not being wildly um, over-rewarded. And this is what happened in this country. It hasn't happened in most other countries in the world Mm -hmm. because of different, all kinds of cultural things, tax things, things having to do with representation of workers on boards, all kinds of reasons. But in this Mm -hmm. country, that gap, that salary gap, began growing between people at the bottom and in the middle and in the upper middle. And the people at the very top began growing in the late 70s and has only continued to grow more and more. And that's an issue of board education. It's an issue of boards being willing to let go of some 
you know, famous jerk who is making insane salary demands <laughs> uh, and saying, you know, no, there are a lot of people in this company and yeah. who are these people and how can we reward exactly. them and how can we spread that? But you know what, Sally, let me piggyback on something while you're there, because I still don't understand it. It, You know, I'm obviously I've been most of my career has been in in the small as an entrepreneur, right? Running my own business. But I do not get what is the challenge with hiring more women for these companies? What? Because I think this is hand in hand with this conversation. In order for them to pay the men less, you got to look for a candidate who wants less money. So why can't you find uh, uh, Yvonne Musk? You know what I mean? Like, why is it? Why? Why was why the challenge? of not putting more women on the boards or in the C-suite? What is the challenge? I think one of the challenges, and there are many, you know, and we could we could have a two and a half hour podcast on just this topic. But I think one of the challenges has to do with how, with uh, uh, Tomas uh, Chamorro Pramuzic, who's a professor at Columbia and a London School of Economics, the massive studies. And one of the things he has found is that organizations do, as he puts it, a particularly poor job of recognizing overconfidence in men. Mm. So a guy who's wildly overconfident, who believes in his own genius, who may be actually in way over his head, we've seen a lot of examples of that, and that's mm-hmm. what usually blows up an organization, by the way. It's a, it's a senior <laughs> leader who's in way yeah. over his head. Yeah. And But that confidence, that absolute dazzling confidence and self-belief, organizations are poor at spotting that. And no matter how many times they have to go through major problems because they've mm-hmm. hired someone who has absolute ironclad belief in his own powers as a visionary leader and as a genius and blah, blah, blah. They don't seem to get it. And so I think that that needs to come to a much wider recognition. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing, though, moving away from that is that, and I know this from having worked in organizations, Women don't tend to ask for as much. They don't tend to push for as much. They don't tend to feel as entitled mm-hmm. to uh, to earn. And especially when salaries are not, you know, known with some degree of transparency. Yeah. And you see this. It's like, well, you know, I believe that if I do a great job, I will be rewarded. Well, to mm-hmm. some extent, but not yeah. really. You know, exactly. the person who does a poorer job may get rewarded in an outsized way mm-hmm. simply because he has asked for it. I worked with, um, and I talk about it in uh, How Women Rise, which I published in 2018. I worked in uh, with a woman in law firm, and she had not been made partner when her male cohort was. So she started looking for a different job. And when she went in to tell a practice head that she'd been offered this job, he said, what can we do to keep you? Ah, how about if we made you partner? And she said, well, that's why I'm leaving, because you didn't make me partner. And he said, we had no idea you wanted to be partner. And she said, well, you know, she thought, OK, you thought I was just working 80 hours a week because I enjoyed it. <laughs> and she said, why not? And she said, he said, well, those guys, they were talking about it from the day that they got here. I want to be partner. I want to be partner within three years, within five years, whatever it was. Yeah. We knew they wanted to be partner. They prioritized that and that they would leave. Okay. So, so, so do not lose. I'm sorry. I hate to cut into my guests, but I don't lose your train of thought. 
But when a guest drops a platinum nugget, <laughs> I want my my listeners to hear the platinum nugget. I do a lot of PD, guys, a yeah. lot of professional development. So trust me, this is a million dollar nugget for women leaders. If you're listening to this podcast right now, what she just said, you have to build your confidence. You have to build your confidence. It's not acceptable anymore. I just don't know how to ask. I just don't know. I'm just not sure. Are you sure that you think I'm enough of that? If you know you don't have the confidence, figure out how to build it. Go find the class. Ask. Go take the conference. Keep going and keep building it. Because as long as you don't, you're playing small. Please continue, Sally. Well, you know, you're exactly right, Fran. And one of the ways you can build confidence is by starting to talk about it. You know, not say, you know, and you don't need to say, I'm, I'm going to be a partner in five years. You know, you've been turned off by that. You know, you can say, you know, I'm really interested in being made a partner here uh, and being on the track for full partnership. You know, what kinds of relationships would be helpful for me to build? What kinds of skills do I need to add? So you can ask those kind of questions. That's not being a jerk. That's not being all about me. Mm-hmm. That's genuinely showing people that you're interested and you're also interested in what they have to say about it. So that's how, to me, you start to build up confidence because then you'll get a response. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, oh yeah, you'd be great at that. You know, so you 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 get it organically, but as long as you sit there, Keep your mouth shut and think I'm a nice and play person. nice. Yeah, I'm a nice person. No. I'm not gonna try to whatever. Then then you're not gonna build that confidence and you no. can sign up for a course if you want, but it's not gonna necessarily happen. And and like Sally just said, you're absolutely right, Sally. Read the books. She's got it right there behind her, folks. How women rise. You know, one of the things that's been people ask me all the time, oh my gosh, how did you start your business? How did you get here? How is it that you're able to do the podcast? How It takes time and diligent effort and persistence to work on yourself. I want to be the best manifestation of myself at all times. I don't say that like I want to be the best. If you see a hair out of place, something coming out of my nose, my lipstick off, and I'm not on point when I'm on stage doing a keynote, tell me. I want to know. And I think sometimes people don't want to know why they shy away from that. So I think she's giving you million dollar advice. How Women Rise is, her, is one of her books. Look it up, read it, hear how other women did it, learn from those case studies. And then don't just read it for folly. I think sometimes people read these books and they just, oh, that's so wonderful. No, read it and stop and reflect. My last guest I just talked about, total different conversation, but she talked a lot about reflection. Stop and reflect. Hmm, what does this mean for me? Do I do that? Ask a friend, ask a buddy, ask a spouse, right? Am I right? Ask. That's the thing. That's what we don't do enough of. We don't ask for help. We don't ask, could you introduce me to this person? We yeah. don't ask, you know, will you nominate me for this award? That I would really appreciate that. If you think I'm, you know, you don't have to sit there and wait for them to answer. If you think that I'd be suitable, I'd really appreciate it if you nominate me. Just ask. Ask, you know, how could I have done better? Ask, is there something else I could have talked about that mm-hmm. would have been useful? And, you know, that way I want to make the best contribution I can here. That's a way to see it that's not all about me. I want to make the best contribution I can. I can see why you do great work. It's bravo, (laughs) bravo, bravo. This is such a great conversation. All the great conversations are always so short. They go so fast. Okay, so what 
are you most excited about this year? Is there anything, any special projects, any special conferences, anything you're doing that you want to tell our guests about or to learn more about? How yeah, how I, I, I am very excited um, with the book I wrote last year called Rising Together. And I'll tell you, because How Women Rise is so successful, we have it in 25 languages, um, it it has it sucks up a lot of a- oxygen, but I believe Rising Together is the right book at the right time, and mm. it's really about how we how, and that's the operative word, how we can build effective relationships with people we may believe are are different from ourselves, because that strikes me as the one thing that is missing from a lot of say DEI training, etc is the how. How do we do that as individuals? Not, you know, some leadership model about being inclusive, but, you know, how do we do that? How do we demonstrate that? So what I'm excited about is really bringing this perspective out into the world, particularly at a time when there's so much pushback and so much Mm -hmm. political BS um, and cutting through it with that very positive, very affirmative uh, message that this is required for organizational success today. You don't have a choice. Oh, I love that. Okay. So that should be required reading. Rising Together by Sally Helgeson, How We Build Effective Relationships with People Different from Ourselves. That is bravo. And you're absolutely right. It is the right time for it because quite frankly, if who you hang out with doesn't doesn't look with the people who you hang out with look like you, yeah. you play golf with, you play tennis with, you go to lunch with people who look like you, you will never learn, learn to understand people who don't, period, point blank. So that means you need a book, right. <laughs> you need a <laughs> seminar, you need something to learn. And you need to take action. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, that's exactly right. You'll never be, you'll never reach. You'll never learn. No, you won't. You know, you'll never reach your full potential. You'll Mm-mm. be stuck there. And guess what? The fear you have that maybe you'll make a mistake or you'll be seen as X, Y, and Z will only get worse the more you refuse to do that. Bravo. This has been such a stimulating conversation. And I don't just say that lightly. If you listen to my podcast, you know I don't say that all the time. So (laughs) Sally, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to welcome you back because I know I want to have you share more with my with my listeners in 2024. So when we send you an invitation, please say yes. I will say yes. <laughs> I will definitely say yes. I've enjoyed this tremendously. Oh, thank you so very much. And thank you all for listening to the Optimized Workplace. Again, I'm your host, Fran Dean Bishop. Remember, it's many that small monumental moments that make the biggest difference in your life. Take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Optimized Workplace. For more insights and resources, visit theoptimizedworkplace.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word and share with those who will enjoy it as well. See you soon.